Case, Executive Director of Feel Well, where we make massage therapy matter. And I'm Kathy Ryan here in British Columbia, Canada, and still and always a major Heal Well fangirl. And this is Massage Therapy Without Borders, a podcast where we discuss the big and sticky issues of the massage profession through the lens of Canadian and American practice regulation and education. We bring on fancy, very informed guests to not only discuss these issues, but to formulate and share some possible solutions to move us forward. If you like the podcast, take a few minutes to go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review, give us some stars, tell people why you listen to the show, and then send us an email at info at healwell.org and let us know what you want to hear about. We do this show for you, so let us know what you want. As always, we like to start off with a little massage pun to set the stage, and remember that life is too short to be serious all the time, so if you can't laugh at yourself, call us and we'll laugh at you. So you guys ready for the joke today? I'm ready. Okay. What is a barbecue pit master's favorite type of massage? I'm afraid to ask. You should be. It's a dry rub. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Woo. All right. (sighs) On that note, Kathy, how how were you before I made you listen to that joke? (laughs) I, I was pretty good before, and, and I'm still pretty good. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah. So I think as the listeners know, if you've been uh, joining us for the last couple of episodes, I, I did resume practice, uh, graduate resumed to practice a couple of weeks ago, um, and all is, is going well. It's definitely a different world for sure, but uh, so far so good. How about you, Cal? Yeah, you know, we uh, we just heard from another one of our clinical partners here at Heal Well this morning that, uh, nope, not ready yet. Call us in a month. Um, just, you know, everyone here, um, we've spent the better part of this week reaching out to our hospital partners to find out, you know, what we need to do. And we've put together our own pretty comprehensive plan for when we come back, this is what we imagine it will look like. And these will be our, our procedures and policies. And um you know, the kind of the consensus around the DC Metro is, is people are really bracing for the second wave um, that doesn't seem to be much of a matter of opinion as much as, you know, exactly when will it hit. And, um, you know, a, a few of the hospitals that we typically partner with were, were, you know, the ones you see on the news where there were two patients in a room and patients in the hallway when this started. And uh, there's some anticipation that we'll be back in that place within the next month. So I think around here, uh, in, in certain settings for sure, we'll be, we'll be sitting out for a while still. So that's where we're at. Well, and I think this is a great lead into the, the conversation that we're going to be having today with our extremely fancy guest. Um, certainly, uh, I'm excited about our guest today, not only because I am a very proud RMTBC member, but because I, I've had a chance to have, you know, conversations with, with Gordon McDonald on a number of occasions. And we're, we're really lucky to have him here at the helm of the RMTBC. Um, so good, good point for me to reach out to Gordon, say, Gordon, uh, let our listeners know why we thought it was a great idea to have you on the show and share some of your perspectives. Okay. Thanks, Kathy. So I'm Gordon McDonald. I'm the executive director for the Registered Massage Therapy Association of British Columbia. I've been in that role since uh, the fall of 2018. Um, Prior to that, I was the associate director. Um, My background is that I've been involved in healthcare for the better part of 20 odd years now. 
um, everything from uh, working as the program director for the Healthcare Labor Adjustment Agency here in British Columbia, which was a uh, government agency set up to assist in the restructuring of the healthcare system. So that uh, included uh, restructuring acute care facilities, uh, closing long-term care facilities, and dealing with the transition of staff between facilities, um, developing training programs so they could take on new roles to deal with staff shortages within the, the sector, things of that nature. Also worked as the um, as a uh, administrator at a both a private college and at a public college. So uh, that's that was an interesting experience, and uh, also the registrar of the College of Licensed Practical Nurses. Um, and uh, so, having worked there, um, you know, it, it's given me some good insights as to um, things that work and things that don't work when it comes to the issue of regulation. So, well, and and Gordon, you've not only covered both sides of the coin so to speak, you've also uh, gone all around the rim and all the nicks and crannies. I mean, regulation, association, um, administrator in both, you know, community-based and private-based, so uh, quite a uh, wide swath of experience that you have, you know, touching in a variety of corners. Yeah, I've been, I've been, uh, you know, I've been very uh, fortunate to have had those those experiences, and and probably uh, from my from my own my own perspective is that for each of those experiences, I've learned something, and I've been able to take that learning and move it to the next to the next uh, challenge. So you know, I, I I I enjoy doing that, and you know, and thank you both for having me here today because uh, you know one thing that I really do like to do is I like to share my experiences and knowledge with others. Hopefully it helps them as, as they move through their, their careers. So, so thanks for that. Well, and I think your experience, Gordon, it reminds me of when we had Donelda Gowan on and she talked about all the various areas in which she has education and experience. And I feel like there's a, there's a real, um, a, a tangible value in people who have had the types of experiences that you have had in, in work and life and, and then come, I mean, I think, for some of our American listeners, even though I think we, we try to sort of make this point in every episode, I think there's probably the assumption that all of your healthcare background makes a lot of sense for Canadian massage, but there's actually more sort of hospital-based and, and, and that type of massage in the States than there is in Canada. And I know that's one of the reasons you and I connected in the first place was, you know, how do we, how do we share some of our lessons learned to, to make that happen in Canada? So. I, I imagine that many Canadian massage therapists are excited that someone with that background is coming and sort of looking at massage therapy through that lens and saying, how do we, how do we create more inroads in those environments? Well, one of my, you know, one of my, uh, actually the position I held just before I came to the association was uh, with an organization, Health Match BC, which is, uh, whose mandate by the, uh, provincial government is to recruit uh, allied health uh, workers, nurses, and physicians into the province, into each of the seven uh, health authorities. And of course, one of the things that uh, was in my uh, portfolio was the issue of recruiting physiotherapists. And, you know, there's limited, there's a limited number of uh, physiotherapy graduates in the province of BC every year. And because the scopes of practice for physios and RMTs overlap somewhat, 
um, you know, it seems to me that, uh, you know, and I think to others within the sector that there's, you know, there's that opportunity to be able to deal with that, um, those skill gaps by introducing massage therapists into, you know, acute care facilities, long-term care facilities, et cetera. So that was kind of what connected you and I, Cal, to that. Um, and thanks for that. The, uh, you know, so I, you know, I, from my perspective, I, you know, it, it's solving problems. And I think that, you know, at the end of the day where you have patient-centered care in the province, um, you know, and the, and the Ministry of Health in British Columbia has been very clear. The minister has been very clear that, uh, you know, it's all about how do we, you know, how do we provide the best service possible and how do we deal with, you know, the uh, treatment protocols using those individuals that can best assist in that particular uh, time and place. Um, and so I think there's a natural uh, ability and a nat you know, it, it's, it seems that here's a, there's a lost opportunity because, you know, in, in from what I've learned through my time here is that, uh, you know, for the most part, there haven't been uh, those many opportunities open to uh, RMTs in BC to work in those settings. And so, you know, I think at, at the end of the day, if, the, if that opportunity can, can be provided, if the door opens, um, you know, RMTs could be the answer to some of that, some of the ministry's issues that they've had for quite some time, so. Excellent. Well, thank you for your, your work and perspective on that. Um, and for, for even from us, but I'm sure from <laughs> uh, BC therapists as well. So, um, gosh, we would love to talk with you about that. But the main thing we have you on to talk with us about today is um, we, we opened a can of worms this last week. Uh, we were opening all kinds of cans of worms, actually, with the, the main show and with our mailbag show. And on our mailbag show, we, we talked about how many people have reached out to Healwell. And, and then Kathy said in talking with you that folks have reached out to RMTBC saying, like sort of my, my area, my province, my state is saying I can go back to work, but I don't feel ready. Or my, my boss is saying like they're opening the shop again and, and here are the things that are making me nervous. And uh, we're really curious about your perspective on that and sort of how it's rolled out. Um, I guess, you know, you can't necessarily speak for all of Canada, but in BC, you know, what have the issues been and, and how do you advise people when they contact you with those kinds of concerns? Yeah, so I think, it, you know, it's been an unprecedented event, I think, across the world here. And so, you know, I, I think none of us were expecting things to go, you know, sideways as they did have. Um, in British Columbia, we've been we've been very fortunate that our provincial health officer has been able to uh, manage the uh, pandemic uh, um, quite well. In fact, uh, I understand that Dr. Bonnie Henry was featured in the New York Times recently about uh, how she was been able to uh, manage this uh, pandemic. So, you know, kudos to her on that front. I think that's made those of us who live in British Columbia uh, made it a little easier for us. Um, probably yes, on little, regularly <laughs> yeah they cut, cut down on the you know a, a certain level of the anxiety um, for our members uh, you know the these are you know this is a, as I said an unprecedented time I think it's it's fair to say that you know when when somebody graduates from any of their programs you know this isn't something that's covered off <laughs> you know as, a, as an entry to practice competency so you know so i think people are looking for guidance and and direction and you know as an and as an association i think we would be remiss if we didn't provide that level of support i mean you know my experience has always been that if you 
if you draw the map for somebody, they'll follow the map. But if there's no map, they don't know where to go. <laughs> right? Yeah, truly. So, you know, so taking that approach of, of saying, you know what, let's, let's try and help you by, you know, developing a, um, a how-to guide, um, which is kind of what we did with our guidelines. The regulator, you know, has a responsibility to protect the public. And of course, you know, one of the mandates in, in uh, British Columbia from the government uh, is it was and the provincial health officer was that you know every sector um, was to have a return to work guide uh, you know in general terms and and so the regulator has done that um, and that's great I think that for our folks um, you know one of the things that that is helpful for them is that they need that much more detail it's you know it, it's not really you know from from my perspective and i think my board's perspective it's not really fair to assume that people know all the ins and outs of how to do this properly because this isn't again as i said earlier this isn't something that people have been educated on this wow. is you know this this is new territory i think for everybody and so for you know for somebody to to be expected to walk down this pathway um, and not really know whether they're doing the right thing or the wrong thing, um, you know, is, is asking a lot of, of, of any practitioner, you know, whether it's an RMT or, or, or anyone else. So, you know, we, we've, we came up with, our, with, with a guideline, which is more of a how-to. Um, and I can say that, you know, one of the interesting parts of, of, of putting that together was the fact that, um, you know, whereas, you know, people are developing guidelines based on, you know, the recommendations from government and so on and so forth. One of the pieces that some people were not aware of, and, uh, and it was brought to our attention early on, is that insurers, malpractice insurance underwriters in particular, have a keen interest at this particular juncture um, in respect to COVID-19 and possible lawsuits. And so again, you know, as an association, our job, much like unions, <laughs> is to protect our membership. Yeah. And so, you know, in order to do that, was to make sure that we're not putting individuals' ability to get malpractice insurance at risk. So, you know, one of the things that we did was um, early on, not only did we submit our, our guidelines to the provincial health officer and to our um, uh, government organization that... Uh, looks after workplaces, which is WorkSafe BC. We submitted it to them for their review, um, but we also submitted it to our uh, insurer, both our broker and underwriter. And, uh, and having done that, they came back with some very strict requirements. Um, and those requirements were, are based on the fact that there, have, there is litigation occurring now in provinces such as Ontario, um, where, you know, the unfortunately uh, COVID-19 um, has sort of run amok um, or was, it's, it's now getting, you know, it's now in a better place. But having said that, you know, particularly in long-term care facilities um, where, you know, because of, of the, you know, the ability to transmit the, the, the uh, virus um, by people moving from facility to facility, uh, not having proper per, uh, PPE, et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, insurers look at that and go, well, uh, you know, I'm in the, you know, people, I think it's fair to say that people don't necessarily understand that insurers are in the business of making money. Yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah. Not in, 
they're not they're not in the business of giving it away yeah. and so you know and so that you know that impacts all of us ultimately and so anything that you know we as 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 you know we we who who hold the policies can do to sort of mitigate those losses it's in our best interest <laughs> ultimately yeah. You know, to yes. keep our keep our fees down, um, so on and so forth. So, so you know, having them involved in 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 reviewing our guideline was was quite beneficial. Mm -hmm. The other side of that, of course, is that you know you're dealing with uh, again a situation that most people are on, you know, on a, you know have have had little experience in, um, you know, particularly in the issue of of protective equipment. Um, you know, it's not something that most RMTs have ever probably thought about, right? I mean, those 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 individuals, you know, who those those who have worked in in acute care facilities, um, you know, have a, a better awareness of these things because, of course, there's transmittable diseases happening all the time in some of those facilities, right? And so, you know, I think part of our our job of late has been talking our members through. You know why is it that I have to wear a mask? What what do I do? You know why why is this necessary? Um, you know and, and and in a lot of cases, um, you know it, it's it's simply the fact that not only do you need to protect yourself and you need to protect the patient, but you also need to protect your ability to get malpractice insurance at some point in the future. Yeah, follow the rules if you want to get covered. Yeah. Right. You know, because I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure about your jurisdiction, but in British Columbia, without malpractice insurance, uh, you don't have a registration and you're practicing as an RMT. So exactly. you know, it's kind of a, you know, one goes with the other. So we've, you know, we've spent a, a lot of time doing that. I mean, I'm very fortunate that I have a, a practice advisor, uh, Alison Chernoff, who is a, a registered massage therapist. And so, you know, Alison's been handling some of these calls along with myself. Um, along, you know, the, re the giving the rationale as to why you need to do these things. Um, one of the things that we did very early on, and again in a supportive role, was we created a COVID nineteen uh, webpage. Mm -hmm. And on that webpage, we put everything that we could, you know, that was available at the time. So that included, you know, directives from the ministry for those individuals who may not want to go back to practice right away or who whose practice had ended because of course at one point uh, everyone stopped practicing for uh, you know back in mid march and you know again under the direction of the provincial health officers so you know people have expenses people um, you know they've got leases on their clinics leases on their treatment rooms so on and so forth and so you know one of the things that we've we've done through this whole thing is actually assisting our members with dealing with some of the legalities um you know it, it's kind of interesting in the fact that you know people you know on a day-to-day -day basis they go to their clinic or they you know they're treating their patients and you know and kind of you know renting that room is sort of just second nature to them and then when something like this happens, and of course the door's locked and you, you can't get in, um, people, you know, they, they start to <laughs> do some, you know, have some various uh, decisions to make. And, and yeah. so, you know, again, you know, trying to, uh, to assist people to advise them that, you know, you have a legal contract with that clinic owner, right? Um, and that clinic owner may not necessarily be an RMT. That clinic owner may be in a, a multidisciplinary clinic where you've got a, a chiro or, phys or physiotherapist uh, running the clinic. 
And, you know, not only do you have that, that legal responsibility to, to, you know, at the very least try and negotiate and we've, you know, given people some, some guidance around, you know, things they could do during that particular period. But the other part of it is if you just walk away, um, you're really putting your profession in a bad light, right? People, you know, people will look at that and say, well, you know, you're supposed to be a professional and yet, there's nothing professional about walking away from a legal document right. that you find. So, you know, so what, so one of the things that we've done is, you know, tried to, to try to give some people some guidance around that. Um, you know, we're not always successful. I can't say, you know, this isn't utopia and everybody leaves happy. Um, but, you know, we, we try to, you know, give people some helpful information. Um, you know, and I think that that's been beneficial across the board. Um, the other part, of course, is on the return to work side, was to provide people with a one-stop shop on that web page um, where they could find the suppliers because uh, of course PPE not you know just I'm sure very similar to in in the United States was in yeah. short supply for quite some time um, it has been in in in, uh, in uh, Canada overall I think in British Columbia it's been you know relatively managed well um, we haven't had the, the sort of uh, shortages that we're seeing again in Quebec and Ontario. But nonetheless, you know, um, again, you know, RMTs don't normally go out and start having to go buy uh, N95 masks. Right. <laughs> right? Correct. You know, so that was a little out of the, uh, you know, out of the ordinary in, in your supply list. So, you know, our ability to kind of provide people with that one-stop shop. So here's the number of different um, suppliers, be it, you know, barriers for your reception area, um, sanitation, you know, uh, cleaning solutions, things of that nature. Um, you know, they could go to the to that web page and be able to find it quite easily, and then contact those suppliers and, and put in their orders. So I think that's been quite helpful for people as well. Certainly. And, and you know, and then of course they're on the on the legal side. One of you know again. Um, you know, one of the things that we we put into our guide, and uh, and we've had a lot of questions around it, is is a waiver, um, and uh, a uh, questionnaire in respect to um, patients who are coming in. We have in, in British Columbia one of the things that uh, that we uh, from from a patient perspective is that if you're dealing with uh, the majority of of healthcare workers you know, those frontline workers, um, nurses, um, and the, that and allied health groups that are working particularly with the health authorities, they have unlimited massage benefits in British Columbia. Mm. And so, of course, you know, when, when clinics were closed, of course, they uh, didn't have access to massage. Um, now that the clinics are reopening, of course, you know, those people are in need of treatment. And so, you know, one of the reasons for having the questionnaire is, of course, you know, we have some frontline workers who are working directly with COVID-19 patients. And so the question becomes, you know, is it okay to treat that person or not? Um, and again, you know, the insurer plays a part in that. And, and so, you know, it's, 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 it's important that people ask the right questions to make sure that at the end of the day, they don't become a vector <laughs> with having treated this individual, um, that, you know, that they, they themselves feel comfortable that they can manage this. Um, and so, you know, providing, again, resources such as the questionnaire and the waiver to make sure that, you know, 
it's important that not only do you get consent from the patient to treat them, but that you also have informed the patient that none of us can guarantee at any given point the transmission of this virus, right? And so, you know, to, to, there's, there's always the possibility of risk. Um, you know, from a legal perspective, waivers, you know, at least in Canada, waivers don't hold a lot of strength. But again, it's, a do it's documentation, which is important to practice, right? And so, you know, it's another form of that documentation that RMTs are required to adhere to. And so by getting that person um, to sign the waiver, then, you know, they've done that of their own free will. And, you know, and they're, they, the patient is expected to read it, um, ask questions. The RMT's responsibility, of course, is to explain, you know, the purpose of it and so on and so forth. And having done that, I think it protects both parties ultimately should, you know, something happen. So, you know, it's, it's all this sort of preventiveness that, you know, needs to occur. And, and as an association, I think, you know, it's our responsibility to try and provide the resources that allow that to happen in the, you know, in the easiest way possible, you know, and, and in the correct manner so that people aren't kind of flying by the seat of their pants. Now, do you, do you notice the same sort of, I mean, I, I feel like we have a pretty solid division here in terms of people who, for, for lack of a better phrase, believe in COVID versus people who don't. And, and there's a real, um, I think part of, the, part of the outreach that we've received from therapists who are wondering what to do because they're, where they used to work is opening again, is that the person who runs their establishment perhaps isn't taking it seriously and is saying, well, you know, we don't have to do this thing or that thing, or, you know, we're going to do these things because the state health board says we have to, but um, there's just a general sense of like, this is overblown and, you know, it's a political stunt, so we're not going to fall into fear. And is that something that you all experience there as well? Or is that a, a uniquely American phenomenon? I, I don't, we haven't had a lot of that. I mean, we've had the odd, odd comment, I'll say odd in the fact that, you know, we've had somebody who said that they weren't afraid of the virus. Okay. okay. You know, I, I don't know whether they've ever been intubated or not, but I don't think yeah. that's something they would like to be undertaking. Sure. But having said that, you know, the, uh, for the most part, again, and I think it goes back to the way that the, uh, the government in British Columbia has managed this whole situation. Yeah. The fact that, you know, that by putting, by, by being, you know, having the provincial health officer be, you know, fairly strict and have, you know, and, and expecting compliance uh, mm -hmm. across the board. I think that's been helpful. And, and that, that's been a common message to the general populace in, in British Columbia that, you know, that we're, you can't get rid of this virus. We can only manage it, right? It's not going away anytime right. soon. So, you know, so I think that's been helpful. Um, I think that's, that, you know, I would say for the most part, we haven't had a lot of people who are believing this is overblown. I, I think people are concerned with um, the fact that they have to take such um, measures because mm -hmm. that's out of the norm. And, you know, and I think, you know, it's a human trait that, you know, we don't like change at the best of times. Certainly. So, you know, so there's, there's that element to it. But I would say that for our membership, for the most part, um, <clears throat> you know, pe people are complying. I mean, the other, the other part of this, of course, is that uh, government has also mandated that uh, WorkSafe BC, which is that agency that looks after uh, work uh, workplaces, is is uh, doing random uh, checks. So they're going in and they're actually asking people uh, for to see their return to work plan. And mm -hmm. what's interesting is not only do they want to see the plan, 
they want you to explain the plan to them. Yeah. So if you're one of these people that kind of takes the easy way out and says, oh, here's my plan, and, uh, and yet doesn't, hasn't, you know, they've read two pages of it and didn't, never got to page 36, yeah. um, that could be somewhat problematic for you. In fact, you know, we, we heard a, uh, uh, a story recently where uh, they went into a multidisciplinary clinic and uh, a chiropractor, of course, was running the show there. And when they, when they asked a, a question, he couldn't answer it. You know, and the other part of it, of course, is you know, and something that we've explained to our members, particularly those that own clinics, is the fact that you have a responsibility to not only for you to understand that plan, but you've got to make sure that everybody from the receptionist on up understands yeah. that plan, right? And so, you know, so we've, we've been doing that messaging um, out there, which is, you know, an expectation of, of, uh, of WorkSafe BC. And I think people have been fairly receptive to that. Again, you know, I think you're always going to get a little bit of pushback. I mean, we certainly, um, you know, got some pushback initially on an issue regarding um, frontline workers such as paramedics and firefighters um, who um, initially the insurer had had said, uh, no, you either, you know, if you're an RMT and you're also working as a paramedic or a uh, or a nurse or, or a firefighter, uh, you need to pick one or the other during this time. Um, they don't want you moving about. They were, you know, in retrospect, after a few weeks, they were able to actually review that again. Um, you know, and we did a little bit of lobbying with them around that. And, and that opened up the opportunity that you could continue to work in both roles. But mm -hmm. as soon as you're, you have exposure, you need to stop, right? Yeah. Which is a reasonable approach. And, um, and so, you know, so we were able to do that. Again, I think, you know, one of the pieces around this is that we've all been learning through this. You know, there's no, there's no sort of um, approach. Everybody needs to do the same thing. Um, it doesn't work that way. Um, I think we're all learning as this, as this, as we go through this. Um, certainly, you know, as, as, as um, the scientific community uh, in, continues to research and investigate the, the virus itself. I mean, things are changing and, and we're learning as to, you know, the different modes uh, that it may or may not be uh, transmitted. So, you know, I think that it, it's a very fluid um, situation right now. And I think that, again, you know, probably the, you know, the key message to our members is that it's fluid and things are going to change. And just because it was that way last week doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be that, that way this week. And so, you know, we've up, been updating our guide on a, a fairly regular basis. I think now that people are, are back to practicing, um, <clears throat> that slowed down quite a bit. I think we've, you know, we, we've sort of got to a point where things don't, are not necessarily changing uh, as, as quickly as they were. Um, which is a good thing because I think that allows people to settle into what's going to be the, the norm for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, I think everyone, you know, worldwide is is predicting a second wave. Um, the approaches that have happened, at least in, in our province, and, and I believe, you know, in, in most of the provinces in Canada, it's been the same approach. Um, actually, I'd say, I would say in some provinces like Saskatchewan, where they're, they're you know, the... Uh, 
uh, massage therapy community is not regulated, but um, the you know the provincial government came down fairly strictly and said you're going to be doing this, 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 and this. Um, you know, so that means gowns and gloves and masks and all sorts of things. You know, more so even than than we've got in in some of the regulated. Uh, jurisdictions. So well, and I think there's an important point there because, you know, I know Kathy has mentioned to us that in BC masks are not required. And, you know, I mean, I think something that I really want to make sure our American listeners understand is that Canada has had a little over 8,000 deaths. So right. compared with the U.S., that's much, much smaller. And then when you look at BC specifically, I mean, you guys by comparison have barely been touched. And I, I, I think this is another piece of ambiguity that's really hard for people to understand is that, you know, maybe 500 miles from me, there are places that have been not touched as much by COVID. But here I sit in the Washington DC region and, you know, things, the infection rates are going back up already. And, you know, they haven't quite recovered from the first wave and they're already bracing for the second wave. And, and that, yeah, like you said, it, it's going to change as we move along and just as we settle into that norm, something will happen. And I wonder, I don't know if you know what went into the sort of decision about in BC specifically, the, the optionalness of mask wearing, or, you know, if you have any perspective on that decision. Yeah. Well, I, I understand that, you know, the, 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 um, from our perspective, we were hoping that the provincial health officer would be more direct. <laughs> I've learned. I've learned. Uh, I've learned. I've learned that the uh, provincial health officer is is not someone who. And I, I've learned this because somebody that uh, that we work with on a regular basis, uh, their uh, sister actually is a personal friend of the provincial health officer. So, <laughs> so you know, and I more or less grew up with her. So I think that uh, you know her 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 uh, one of her traits is the fact that she likes to be more than direct <laughs> and so you know so so that didn't you know so the direction piece you know she didn't come out and directly say people had to do this mm-hmm. i think the other part of it of course is that uh from what i understand in discussions with the regulator is that the regulator had uh, some health experts involved in their work plan um those health regulator uh, health experts um at the time did not believe that um massage therapy was a high risk um, activity. Um, we, we at the association disagree with that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, as, as a non RMT, I mean, I, I'm kind of fascinated how you could be working on someone's neck and shoulders where you're a few inches away from their mouth and, 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 and nasal cavity. <laughs> And, yeah. yet, and, and yet you don't need to wear a mask. Hmm. Yes. You know, I, I can't buy that one. So, yeah. you know, and again, going back to my earlier, my earlier story in respect to the insurers, um, we just took the, took the, uh, the bull by the horns and said, Hey, you know, then the insurer in particular said, you, you either wear a mask or you are putting yourself at risk of not having insurance. And I think that that, you know, I think that was a wise decision to make. I think, you know, one of the things that I've learned in working, um, you know, with nurses in particular is it's, it's always easier to set the bar high and then lower it. Yeah. than it is to set the bar low and then try to have to encourage people to step it up. Certainly. Right. Well, and, and I think that's, you know, you've made so many important points here, Gordon. And I think one of the points that you made is this is a fluid situation. 
this is going to continue to change as this evolves. And I think initially the whole mask thing was kind of like, oh, they don't really help, so don't really worry about it. And now we're starting to see a shift around that. We're starting to see here in Canada where masks might be mandatory for the general public under certain circumstances, like transit, for example, is one of the sectors that's being looked at. So I think it's been interesting. So we may see that change yet for us. I think that's part of it. So perhaps when some of the decisions were being made around our guidelines, maybe the mask thing wasn't as at the forefront. I potentially we might we might see that change. I mean, I am wearing a mask. No, no, no questions about it. And even before, you know, I got the information from the association, you know, having conversations with folks, I said, when, when I start back to practice, if this is still going on, I will be wearing a mask just in case, because I agree with you, set the bar high, much easier to adjust that than come in low and then scramble after the fact. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, and I think that, uh, you know, Anecdotally, we found that the majority of our members are wearing masks. I mean, in some in some cases, some people have gone right to the <laughs> to the extreme of not only masks but shields and so yeah. on and so forth. So you know, so I think that you know, again, there's there's that whole issue of professional discretion that needs to be discussed, and the fact that you know, as a healthcare professional, you're expected to use your critical decision making skills in light of not only protecting you but you know protecting the patient and and in doing so again you know one of the things that uh, that i get out of that is that i think when you set the bar high that improves the image of your profession you know and i and i i, I, and I can talk from experience working with the licensed practical nurses um you know when i first went to the college you know for the most part registered nurses thought of LPNs as sort of glorified care attendants, right? Um, and that was because of, you know, issues around, you know, how they practiced, how they behaved, all, all of the things that, you know, can paint a bad picture. And, in, and, and when you, you know, when you take that and then you, you look at improving it by, you know, making people, you know, having compliance, having people behave in a professional manner, you know, developing proper critical decision-making skills, all of those things pay off. They're all dividends that ultimately brings up, you know, raises the image of the particular group. And so I think that, you know, by RMTs, um, you know, moving in that direction and, and setting the bar higher, and there's nothing wrong with setting the bar high. I mean, I, I personally- oh, Amen. Listeners, we did not pay him to say this. He didn't even have time to <laughs> show before. He doesn't no, know I, that I, that's the whole point of all of this. I, I, you know, my, 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 my view of it is, you know, you, if you're setting the bar higher than, than the guy next door, awesome. You know yep. what? Maybe, maybe he'll set the, his, his bar as high as well. There's nothing wrong with, you know, at the end of the day, you want to be a leader, right? And there's nothing to stop massage therapists from being leaders, you know, but, but that leadership comes from within and it comes from within in the manner in which you act and how you, you know, that, le that level of professionalism that you exhibit and, and that you, you, you live by. And so, you know, this, I think, you know, to every, I always say to every cloud is a silver lining. 
I think during this pan this pandemic, I think it's shown, you know, there's there, there's certain deficiencies, I think, that are out there that have now come to light. And I'm hopeful that, you know, people will start to fill in some of those gaps. Um, but by the same token, um, <clears throat> this is a golden opportunity for massage therapists to show that level of professionalism and to, you know, show that to their patients. And, you know, word of mouth is worth a lot. And when, you know, when, when um, you know, a patient comes to you and they see that you've taken all these reasonable precautions after the, you know, that you're concerned about their safety, you know, they're not just a dollar bill walking through the door. Um, you know, I, that goes a long way to getting that recognition that I think most people want. So, you know, I say good on, good on those who, you know, want to comply and, and want to learn from this and, and use it again as a stepping stone to, uh, to enhance the profession. Wow. I, yeah, usually we have to ask people for like a closing thought, but I, I don't know. I think you might've just like <laughs> mic dropped on that one. I, I mean, that, that really is the nugget, isn't it? And I think you just exposed to me my frustration when we get that outreach is that what people are saying is, I want to hold a higher bar, but my boss doesn't. And I don't know what to do. And it's right. like, nothing's stopping you from being a leader. You know, yep, it's going to be hard. It's going to be scary, all the things. But you've done hard, scary things lots of times before. And what better time than when, like, actual human life is on the line and public safety. And, and yeah, the, the reputation of our profession and our individual practices. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and again, you're absolutely right, Cal. There's nothing to stop somebody from setting the bar higher. I mean, you know, that... I, I, I personally, I, I think that, you know, we, we collectively should encourage that, you know, within, within the profession on both sides of the border. And, 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 and having said that, um, that will open up opportunities that, you know, may not necessarily exist now, but certainly could exist in the future. So, you know, the more that people move in that direction, everybody wins with that. Absolutely. Yeah, and I will say that um, my closing part, I think, would be that, you know, I, I, honestly, I think part of why <laughs> our hospital partners have said, oh, not yet, is because we've set a high bar for what we need to go back and be safe. And they're like, oh, we can't, right now, we just have to deal with, like, the primary care functions. And you're right, this is what we need to do for massage to be safe. And can you just wait a minute? And, and I think that that's when people hold a high bar and the answer is no, I think they think they held it too high and we've got to be willing to hold it and, and let, you know, let, let everybody come up to it or, or not and just hold our own bar and, and do what we know is right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think holding that high bar um, is easier when we have good leadership. Absolutely. So when we have really good, strong leadership, which I feel, you know, very fortunate that that I do here in BC, both from my regulator and my, my association, um, that can put out you know, important information for me to consider so that I can make a good critical decision. Yeah. So, and, and again, I think this really emphasizes something that has been one of my charges as, as, a, as a massage therapy uh, professional here over the course of my career, is the importance of good collaboration between our association and our, our regulators in those provinces where that exists. So, you know, I'm grateful that the college put out the information that they did 
And then the RMTDC stepped up to fill in some of those details to help me make really good decisions for myself about, um, is this the right time for me to go back to practice and consider all the components in that? Um, I can say that I did not feel pressured to reopen my practice. Um, I wanted to <clears throat> be really clear about not being feeling pressured. I'm, I'm in a fortunate position that I'm a uh, self-employed individual with my, my office at the back of my home. So I don't have outside pressures, let's say, other than the financial reality that we all have. But I wanted to be certain that I wasn't feeling pressured to go back. I wanted to go back when I felt the timing was such and the circumstances were such that I could go back in the safest manner possible. So grateful to have good leadership. Good leadership is always important when there's a crisis even more critical. Definitely. Thank you so much for being with us, Gordon. Um, it's, it is really nice to, to hear um, just what you shared with us and really as much as the actual words, just the spirit uh, behind what you shared and, and how important that is uh, for our profession to hear. And uh, I look forward, I know, as um, the Executive Director of HealWell to keeping an eye on RMTBC and um, seeing what you all do because you, you have definitely helped us to um, create a more clear path for folks that we share information with. And we've been glad to have that um, collaborative ability with you all. And um, yeah, we might need to bring you back as, uh, as things continue to change. But in the meantime, um, thanks for the generous gift of your time today and for all you do uh, every day to keep massage therapy, not only safe, but excellent. Yeah, well, and thank you very much for, you know, the collaboration with HeoL and, uh, and uh, you know, Kathy's leadership in, uh, in asking me if I would like to be involved in this. Thanks very much for that. It's been a great opportunity. And, uh, you know, anything that we can do to, uh, to advance the, uh, the profession where, you know, I'm more than happy to, to assist in that. So, so thanks very much for the opportunity. Certainly. Thank you. So everybody, that's it for today. I'm still Cal Cates, Executive Director of HealWell, where we make massage therapy matter. And I'm still Kathy Ryan here in British Columbia. And this has been another episode of Massage Therapy Without Borders, the podcast where we discuss the big and sticky issues in the massage profession through the lens of Canadian and American practice regulation and education in order to formulate and share solutions to move us forward. If you like what you've been hearing, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review, make some comments, encourage other people to come and listen away. And as always, send us an email at info at healwell.org. And uh, we'd love to answer your questions on one of our shorter midweek mailbag episodes, or maybe you've got a big juicy issue that we should bring as a main topic in one of our episodes. Uh, so let us know what interests and concerns you in the profession. We do this for you. So let us know what you want to hear about. And we'll see you next week. Thanks. Massage Therapy Without Borders is produced by HealWell. Our theme music is by Harry Pickens. Send us feedback at info at healwell.org. That's info at H-E-A-L-W-E-L-L.org. And please check out our classes at healwell.org. New episodes will be available weekly via your favorite podcast app and on HealWell's Facebook page. Thanks for listening.